Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to May. It was a light April for us, but we are back with plenty of content. Aaron Rodgers is with the Jets. Lamar back with the Ravens. The draft has come and gone. Even on the NBA side of things, while we're deep into the playoffs, I was texting some buddies, and it's really weird that you got the Bucks coach, you got the Raptors coach, I think the Celtics and the Suns, they let go over their coaches. I think the Celtics, there was something weird going on. He was dating the intern, and he didn't tell human resources. But something weird about the NBA, like they fire their coaches after they go to the finals like two years prior. I think that's a little weird. And, of course, we got Cardinals baseball to talk about. Just a dreadful April. And I checked the score here, and they lost again on Thursday to wrap up that series against the Angels. Just a heartbreaker the night before on Wednesday. They're they're playing bad baseball. One of the worst teams in the National League and overall. And they got to fix a lot of things right now. And I don't think it's a totally lost cause, but they have to get it going now. And they're going to have to go on a bit of a hot streak here soon. We're going to talk all about it. It's the podcast back here in May. Thanks so much for tuning in. So it was obviously a great day here on Thursday. Lamar Jackson signed his contract with Baltimore, negotiated it himself with his mother, and all parties were really happy. Lamar was happy. He was very gregarious with the media. DaCosta, Harbaugh, they were all happy that this was a signed sealed and delivered proposition now it was no longer any of this back and forth between the media I know that he requested his trade when Harbaugh was at the general managers meetings I forget it's where Andy Reid wears his Hawaiian shirts all the time and you got the general managers and you got the coaches and they're pretty much just forced to speak in the microphones for the sake of content during a dead period with the NFL leading up to the draft so that that's almost eight weeks ago now or close to it but we've reached the finish line. He's a Raven. It's a solid deal for both sides. It's the type of contract that should have happened two years ago. And if not then, last fall. And if not then, back in March prior to free agency. It never had to take this long. Lamar was just so gung-ho on beating Deshaun Watson's record or getting a fully guaranteed contract and he ultimately lost. And he he didn't lose from the sake of making a boatload of cash. Yeah, he's going to get that. He was always going to get that. Very few people actually thought that that was not something he deserved. Everybody thought that was the case. But it was so strung out. And he even requested a trade. And he even had the NFL even though he denies it, the NFL had to send out a memo to teams about some random guy negotiating on his behalf that isn't authorized to do so. So when you factor in that the Ravens also were placing the transition tag on him, letting other teams negotiate with him instead of keeping his exclusive rights to where teams cannot negotiate, this was just a circus of a negotiation. They're very, very lucky that it came to a a fair resolution. I do wonder, though, between all that and between the fact that he wasn't at the Bengals game, a playoff game, he just was not in attendance for his team's playoff game, even though he was inactive, and the fact that he kind of gingerly made his way back to the facility with that injury, he didn't seem all eager to get back on the field. You have to wonder, 
are they ever going to look at him the same? I know the Ravens would not sign this contract if they did not want him on the team, but there's got to be some repairing of the relationship between him and the Ravens. He better come in and learn this new Todd Monken offense. He was at the press conference today talking as if he had no idea what was going on. He, he only talked to his teammates about it, and he said it looks, quote, nice. He doesn't know the offense, and that's the job of a superstar quarterback. You need to know those types of things, and he's already behind the eight ball. Now, can he get caught up? Yes, but he's got to take steps like that, improving that, hey, we, we, we need to be able to count on you. We need to know that you're all in on this thing. We just handed you this huge deal, and you made this a bit of a circus on our end. It never had to be this complicated. I, we just hope that when we're 4-5, and five, whether it's this year, next year, there is always going to be down years or some uh, treacherous waters in an NFL season, are you going to be all in? We had that guy early on, but in your contract year, something changed. And we've seen it with other players where once they get the big deal, they're not always all in. And Lamar, he definitely seems like the type of guy that's going to flip that switch again, but that starts right now. The press conference, that ended. Everybody's happy. It's a dead period in the NFL now that the draft is over. Really building collateral, that begins right now, and it's going to be interesting to see come November. Do we look back on this, and was this just a a move that Baltimore should have thought one more time about? Randall Cobb. Adam Schefter broke it yesterday, I believe, on, on Wednesday. Randall Cobb is flying him to Florham Park, and he's going to sign his contract with the New York Jets. And him and Alan Lazard and Nathaniel Hackett, I think there's one more guy that I'm missing. He's there with Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, it's a good time for the Jets football team. They're riding high. They got a notable, a reputable quarterback for the first time in my lifetime. The, the only good one has been Mark Sanchez, who again I think has been underrated. Not that he was a star, but you know he he took teams to the AFC Championship game, and Chad Pennington won some games. Parcells took him to the AFC Championship game in '98. So the Jets have had some good teams, but this is by and large, far and away, the best quarterback that they have had in I don't know 30, 40 years. Broadway Joe is really the last true franchise guy where they had for a decade plus that made them one of the teams to beat in the AFC. And you see Rodgers, he's at Knicks games, he's at Rangers games. The guy just fits the Broadway aspect of New York. Like, he's a big-time personality, he's a big-time quarterback, and he's a guy that flourishes under the spotlight. So it's really neat to see a guy who spent his entire career in very casual, laid-back Green Bay. Again, another marquee franchise in the Packers, but this just fits. This is good for the consumer. It is good when the Jets are relevant. It's good when the Giants are relevant, when any of the NFC East teams, when the California teams, when you're in those major cities like Miami, a Dallas, a Los Angeles, that is good for the league. Now, could this ultimately end in a... 10 and 6 season where the Jets miss out on the wild card in a really competitive AFC East. There's no pushover in their division alone. Forget the AFC. 
Rodgers just entered a tough division, and all the good quarterbacks are in the AFC conference. So it could be a situation where, does this play out exactly how the Jets imagine a Super Bowl? I know that's what Rodgers referenced, how you got the uh, the guarantee from Broadway Joe, and they got that one trophy. That's what the end goal is. But for a moment here, in the offseason, and leading up to the season and training camp and even into September where maybe they get off to a 3-1 and start, let the good times really sink in because you have not had the Jets be this relevant since Rex Ryan, and that's a coach. And that's great when a coach is relevant as well, but we all know that he was bringing a lot to the table more so than his quarterback and his team overall. But that's come and gone. Those years, that's 12 years ago. I was in high school when that was going on. So it's great for the league that you got a New York team that's bound to make the playoffs. The other one did last year. It's a really good time for the NFL with a team on the cusps of potentially taking it to that next level. So the New York Post, Andrew Marchand, the esteemed sports media critic, and New York Post, that's who he works for. They, they got a lot of those folks. And I, I always enjoy that content. Dan Cesar has done that for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the local newspaper here. I don't know if that's a thing for every local newspaper or just every market. I find it entertaining. I love hearing about who goes where and who's doing a good job and who might enter that scene. He's reporting that he thinks 49% Brady ultimately does not ever call games for Fox. And I always thought it was a weird combination. Yeah, it's a lot of money, and maybe that speaks for itself. Brady's never been motivated by money. His entire career, he always took his salary, what he made from the Patriots and the Bucks, as monopoly money. He, he always made his big earnings and endorsements and his other business ventures. That's where he makes his major cash. So I don't think he would do something like broadcasting just because it was too good of a deal money-wise. He doesn't need any more money. He has plenty. He can do whatever he wants. His passion is not calling the games. I could never see that. Calling the games, you have to be censored. You have relationships that you have to protect because you have to go in and do the interviews. Additionally, you're calling a broadcast game. There's certain mechanics and things that you have to adhere to because the common man, Bill in his basement in Des Moines, You cannot get into the X's and O's and the nitty-gritty. You have to talk his language so he understands what's going on. That never screamed Brady to me. Tom Brady is the most calculated athlete and most regimented and mentally tough athlete I've ever seen. This guy is into the granular aspects of football. He's into the sports performance and how your wellness affects how long you can play in the league. He, He... defeated father time he's the only one to ever do it I don't think he's just going to jump in the broadcast booth and travel four days a week and not see his kids after he literally let go of his marriage so he could play one more season of football he separated his family for the game this is a guy that I I think you're going to see TB12 Inc that's just going to be a common thing that he's going to continue to grow and grow and grow to make it household activities. He, he wants pliability to be a thing that he really got on the fitness map. I think that's what he's going to be pushing towards. It's not going to be calling games and being Troy Aikman and being Tony Romo. He wants to change the way athletes prepare themselves. 
He wants to leave his mark on this is how you reach peak performance. He wrote a damn book about it. You think he's just going to give that up to focus on calling the 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 Seahawks and the and and the Jaguars on Sunday in the three o'clock slot? No way. He's got bigger fish to fry and. I agree with Marshawn that I, I could see him never seeing this contract, and it was always an odd fit for me in my eyes. Bill DeWitt Jr., owner of the St. Louis Cardinals, he put it as, as clear as you can say it. This is the worst start of his tenure as an owner that the Cardinals have had. They have never been this bad. They are in the cellar of the National League, and I am a little bit more optimistic than most folks. I think that there have been positive trends in each area. It's not as if it's a total lost cause. There there have been some uh, patches or stretches of the team playing good in each area, but they have found a way to lose every game in a different facet of, of baseball, whether it be defense, pitching, holding leads, coming back from leads, hitting, timely hitting. It, it's all been really bad because they cannot put together a complete game and you ever wonder if they can I would think it would be worse if you just continuously had the same problem with the Cardinals if from beginning of March whenever it was March 31st whatever opening day was maybe it was April 1st if we're at the point now here on May 4th if they had never gotten their pitching going. But they did have a good stretch on the West Coast trip, and and they have had some good hitting, the Toronto series to begin and, and the series after that, where they were hitting and hitting well. So I do think they can climb out of this, but it's extra important. It is really important. As Detroit comes to town, who does not have a good record, and their record probably doesn't indicate how good of a team they are. But as Detroit comes to town and then you go to Chicago and Boston, you got to play above 500 ball. You you cannot let this sink anymore. Otherwise, you are going to be out of this. It's going to be a very critical series at home here and then a three-game stretch in Chicago before you head off to Fenway. You have got to play 500 ball. You cannot continue to sink much further than where you are right now because Pittsburgh they're 26 and 6 right now. Is that what I saw? The Rays and them are off to their best starts ever. Two bottom sellers as far as a market. They're the best teams in baseball right now. So Cardinals are going to have to start getting some length out of their arms. They're going to have to start hitting with runners in scoring position. And they're going to have to stop giving up leads. Gallegos, God bless them, happened to the World Baseball Classic, blew another one. That was just. The, the worst game of the year by far in this 2023 season. Still very young. I, I cannot see them losing three or four more games in the next three series without them doing some irreparable harm to their season. So Detroit almost has to be two out of three. Got to take two out of three out of Chicago and Boston. You, you got to play above 500 ball if you want to salvage the rest of the season. I know I didn't do any NFL draft pre-talk or even post-talk for that matter. It's now been one full week since it kicked off. Had my buddy and a loyal listener, Negus Webster-Chan Williams over at the house. We watched it together. And 
you know, not not too many shockers other than that you just see each and every year how these mock drafts that come out, how radically different they are from a value standpoint and just operational standpoint from NFL teams. You, you see quarterbacks. I remember last year, Mel Kiber kept pounding the table for Malik Willis. Now the guy's an afterthought. The Titans drafted him in the third round. They took Will Levis in the second. There's this overinflation on quarterbacks and their value as prospects. And NFL teams just set the record straight each year. They say, yeah, we, we don't think Malik Willis is that good. We don't think Will Levis is that good. We'll take him in the second round. He's not a first rounder. People were talking about him going second overall to the Texans. Texans took Stroud. Then they traded back up to get Will Anderson. That sure looked like a mandate from Houston saying you better take a quarterback from the Houston ownership group. Because when the GM takes Stroud second overall and then immediately trades for the third round pick, that tells me what he really wanted. He wanted that edge rusher from Alabama. He did not want C.J. Stroud. He felt the pressure, like a lot of general managers do, to cave to the owner. This recipe typically does not end well because I trust the general manager over the owner as far as what you should do. This is like Titans and Vince Young. The ownership watched the Rose Bowl and had Jeff Fisher and I forget the general manager at the time. They forced him to draft Vince Young, who had a Pro Bowl season. I believe they went to the playoffs, but he wasn't any good. He wasn't ready for the NFL. That's what this smells like to me. The Texans are going to go up in flames as far as Casario and that tenure. He'll be out by next year. D'Amico, hopefully he continues to have success as a coach, and maybe he can get this back on the tracks. But C.J. Stroud, I like him as a player. I liked him as a prospect. I really thought a lot of good things there. But second overall, yeah. There's a lot of other things you could have done with that pick, including trading down and getting a good player, and maybe another one. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with the fact that Will Anderson should not have been selected, but the way they went about it, 2-3, that tells me everything I need to know. Additionally, the Eagles just continue to be a well-oiled machine. They just continue to pick great players. Howie Roseman gets the draft better than anyone. They understand that it's a marketplace, doesn't get in love with too many players, just falls in like with them. He'll move back, he'll move up, and he'll get his guys. He knows when to trade the pick that he's out of and move up or move back or just sit and pick. And he landed the best player in the draft in Jalen Carter, who I I know we keep talking about off-the-field issues. Maybe there is something there. I I think what happened is the guy got scared, and and now he's going to be playing on a really good team in the NFL, and he's probably going to the best place that he could in a defensive line machine in Philadelphia. You got Brandon Graham, Jordan Hargraves was there, obviously Fletcher Cox. They've had other names in there like Chris Long and uh, and Nagama Kung Su. It's just going to be a great place for him to learn and to just worry about football. And really, it's like the Philadelphia Dogs because I think they got four or five other former Georgia Bulldogs on the roster now. And then, of course, you also have The Indianapolis Colts, who took Anthony Richardson, who I thought they got it right better than Will Levis. I think Anthony Richardson is a guy that plays fast but did not play well in college. And then you got Will Levis, who played pretty well or okay, but played really slow. I don't see Will Levis and his game translating to the NFL. He's a slow player, 
just from an athletic standpoint. He's an athletic guy, but he doesn't play fast with his with his skills and with his talent. And then mentally, he's slow as well. I, I see him getting sacked quite a bit. I see him throwing errant passes, passes too soon, passes too late. I just don't think he's going to be a very good NFL player. Now, if you wanted to move him to another position like halfback or fullback or even an inline tight end, I, I could see that potentially being a role for him, kind of like the Tebow role or uh, uh, the New Orleans guys. Uh, uh, forgetting his name now, but he's been getting the, the snaps along with Jameis the past several years. So if he wants to play that type of position, I could see him having a successful NFL career. But Anthony Richardson is a guy that could be a Cam Newton type player with the right coaching. Is Shane Steichen in that guy? I don't know. I mean, I know he was with the Eagles and he coached that team, but going this route of plucking the OC from the most recent NFC or AFC champion the prior year, that's not always a good way to do business. That seems to be the way with NFL owners. Well, who made the Super Bowl last year? Let's go get their coordinator and they're our head coach. doesn't always work that way, I'm afraid. So maybe Steichen's good, maybe he's not. I have no clue. But can he coach up a quarterback that uh, traditionally guys like Anthony Richardson flame out? You hope Richardson has the traits mentally. Does he have the character? Is he in early? Is he out late? Is he staying at the building? Does he love football? And then do you have the right coaching? Because this guy's going to need snaps from the jump. He hasn't played a whole lot of football. When I look at quarterback prospects, the Mahomes of the world played four years at Texas Tech. When you look at uh, Peyton Manning, Played three years at Tennessee. Tom Brady got snaps his last two years at Michigan. You got to play a lot of football games to be good at football because there are situations when your team is is five and five and you're coming up on November. Do you remember what it was like to be kind of stuck in the mud there? And does your quarterback rally the organization? Do they know how to fix their mechanics on the fly in the middle of a season? Do they know how to gut through any of those nicks and pains, maybe even injuries that they're playing through. The guys that have played football, they know how to do that. That's the thing in addition to the offense at Ohio State, the Justin Fields, the Strouds, the uh, Dwayne Haskins. Those guys, they've done nothing but winning. They don't play in close games. They only have Ws. So they never know what it's like going to the NFL where things are really hard. Your team... They're not all full of five-star recruits where you just smash teams in August and on Labor Day weekend. This is the NFL. So Anthony Richardson, does he have those traits? And do you have the head coach? And can he take his druthers the first year, maybe first year and a half, and stick with it and still have the confidence to play at a high level? We're going to know come 2024 in October, November, if Richardson can play. But I do think that the Colts got the better one when going over Levis and picking Anthony Richardson. Appreciate everybody listening. It's the podcast. We're going to be back at it here in May. Tell your friends about it at the podcast, or excuse me, at Pete4C. That's the handle. And then the email is the podcast at gmail.com. That's how I can be reached. If you have any questions, you want to be heard on the show, 816 226 7483. Again, the phone number to call or text 816. 816- Two two six seven four eight three. Thanks so much. We will see you guys next week.